Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You don't need me to tell you that being a rock star is not a normal kind of job. You live in a bubble that's as far removed from the regular 9 to 5, Monday to Friday thing as you can possibly imagine. You spend a lot of time living in hotel rooms. There's a lot of downtime between gigs, which can get really, really boring. Uh, And your working hours are almost completely opposite to your natural circadian rhythms. A lot of people end up coping with bad food and drugs and alcohol, and all kinds of self-destructive behavior. Anything to alleviate the boredom, or the pain, or the loneliness, or the insecurities. And because you're a rock star, there aren't many people who are going to tell you to smarten up and sort out your life. In fact, your bad behavior is more likely to be encouraged than policed. And it can be even worse when you get off the road. Suddenly, any day-to-day structure you had on tour is gone. All that's left is you and your house with your bad habits. I bring all this up because this is where we're going to pick up the story of Derek Wibley and Sum 41. The band burned very hot and very bright from 1996 through to 2005. But then, finally, something had to give. And it got real scary. This is the Sum 41 story, according to frontman Derek Wibley, part two. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Sum 41 from the third album, Chuck, released in the fall of 2004. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is the second part of a conversation with frontman Derek Wibley on the career of Sum 41. Again, he's been the only constant in the group. He's the frontman, the guitarist, the chief songwriter. He is, in essence, the band. At the end of part one, we got to the point where Derek was physically breaking down. His back was betraying him, and there was a lot of pain and a lot of canceled shows. I went home tried to deal with it as best as I could, probably drank too much through the pain, and then just got back out on the road because that's what we do, you know? And then it never really was healed, and I just kept trying to tour through it, and it would act up a lot, and it would just be kind of a chronic pain that I just didn't deal with. You know, I was on tour so much mm-hmm. and just thought I could just drink the pain away. And But the show had to go on. Derek was repaired as best as possible, 
and it was back into the fight. Then came a lineup change. Lead guitarist Dave Brownsound quit. It all came down to an argument over musical direction. Derek wanted to evolve into a more artistic pop-punk style, while Dave preferred the idea of a metal direction. And Dave Backish was gone. He left to focus on his own group, Brown Brigade. So Sum 41 was down to just a trio. Meanwhile, Derek had run into some kind of paranoid writer's block. He'd lost confidence in his abilities, which is why it took him nearly a year to write all the songs to the follow-up to Chuck. There was also the issue of who would produce the record. Derek didn't want to do it, but they couldn't find anybody else, so in the end, the work fell to him. Derek spent a lot of time working alone on the music. The rest of the band had no idea what he was working on until he presented the songs. There was a different sound to this record, too. Derek added piano and keyboards. What some fans ended up with was a semi-concept record that can be loosely described as encompassing Derek's outlook on life, including several that he admits being about his relationship with Avril Lavigne, to whom he was married. Then there's this track, which draws from Derek's childhood, including the father he never met. It's called Walking Disaster. And now I've been gone for so long I can't remember who was Walking Disaster, one of the three official singles from the fourth Sum 41 album, Underclass Hero. Now, note the title. This is a direct nod to John Lennon and his 1970 song, Working Class Hero. John remains a big, big songwriting inspiration for Derek, uh, which means that this might be a good time to play the title track because it too was a single. After the cycle for that album was over, things for Derek got worse. Well, in 2013, I mean, from 2010 to 2013, we were on an album cycle tour. It was a three-year tour, and it just didn't stop. And I was touring through all that back pain and trying to manage it by just drinking through it. And then when we got home in 2013, we didn't have any touring. We said we were going to take a year off. the first time we were ever going to take a break. Which albums were these? This is on the Scream Bloody Murder album okay. now. Um, so that was a three-year cycle for that album, and I got home, and we just said we we're going to take a break. We've never taken a break in our entire career, and, you know, the back pain didn't get any better. My drinking didn't get any better, and with a year of that, of having no responsibility, of no shows, nothing to do, and nothing to, like, sort of curb any kind of bad behavior, it just got, got worse in that year. See, here's the problem with being a rock star. There's nobody to tell you no. Mm-hmm. And you live in your little bubble, and uh, you're going to continue to do whatever you do in that bubble without any sort of consequences until it's, it's too late. Basically, yeah. That's usually what happens. Album number five, for some, was Screaming Bloody Murder. It was released on March 29th, 2011. And again, Derek produced it himself after hoping that Gil Norton, a guy known for his work with the Pixies and the Foo Fighters, couldn't do it. This would be the last record with founding member and longtime drummer Steve-O, but it would be the first with guitarist Tom Thacker from the band Gob. The title track was the first Sum 41 single in three years. Open, I believe, 
Even with all the drama surrounding Sum 41, a song called Blood In My Eyes from the Screaming Bloody Murder album was nominated for a Best Hard Rock Metal Performance Grammy, but they lost to the Foo Fighters. Here's more from Derek about his health struggles at the time. So let's, what happened? So you end up in the hospital with liver and kidney failure, mm-hmm. and you were there for a while. I was in the hospital for about a month, and then I was released, but I was still like an outpatient. So luckily my mom's a nurse, so she was with me the whole time for about another two or three months after that, um, because I still needed to be in some kind of care. If it wasn't my mom, it was going to be some other mm-hmm. nurse. Um, but, and I had to go back to the hospital pretty much every other day just to check in. So that whole thing was about three or four months. I mean, the, the second I got out of the hospital, all I wanted to do was play music. The, the first day I got home, I picked up a guitar, started to try to play something, and realized I couldn't play guitar anymore. I couldn't even make a chord. I couldn't figure it out. Why? Everything was just gone. Everything felt like I was starting from zero for everything. I was having a hard time making complete sentences. Like, I, I couldn't remember. I, I couldn't spell right. You know, like, nothing was working. <laughs> That's scary. It was very scary, yeah. So how long did that period last? That lasted for a few months, like while I was in that sort of like outpatient sort of care. Um, and then it slowly starts to come back. Um, but I was, you know, I just kind of worked at it. I, I don't know how it works normally with most people, but I just worked on it every single day. Whatever I had to do to get better, I did that. You know, I had to do physio to start walking again because I couldn't walk. I was in, I'd been laying down for so long, all the muscle atrophy and, um, you know, there's just nothing worked. So you just got to work on all of it to get it back. When did you finally really get back to work? I would say, so I came into the hospital in May and I had a couple months. This is 2014? 2014. I would say by November of 2014, I was starting to write music again and felt like I could kind of walk around okay and it was getting better. Um, and I, started, I remember I started going to some concerts around there that time just to kind of get myself back in that world. You know, I was going to see Aerosmith. I went to see Fleetwood Mac and a few things like that just to kind of get out. And the only thing I wanted to do was go to a concert, though. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to play? Well, I wanted to play, but I was so far away from playing. There was no or way I could play. Yeah, I couldn't perform okay. at all. One of the songs that came out of this period was Fake My Own Death. The album was 13 Voices. Fake My Own Death from the sixth Sum 41 album, 13 Voices, a record that saw them head out on the Warp Tour in 2016. In the time that Sum 41 had been around, the music industry and music audiences had changed. And that's where we'll pick things up in just a second. This is the second half of a program where Sum 41 frontman Derek Wibley tells the story of the band from his perspective. We're up to the 13 Voices album. And by this time, many, many, many things had changed for the band. I want to take a bit of a detour here because you're in a band that bridges the period between when everybody was buying CDs and records to now when nobody's buying CDs and records and it's all about streaming. How have you, you've had to adapt to two completely different business models. How have you done it? 
I don't know. That would be for the business people to say how we're doing it because I don't even know how we're doing it. Well, you <laughs> I mean, just I tour so much. So I don't know if we're doing well or, you know, we just go out and we tour and we, we see people at the shows. And our, we know our shows are getting bigger everywhere we go. It's getting bigger every year, every album. And that's how I base everything you've, on. You've had to kind of start from the beginning. Not, not the beginning, but you've had to start building again because you were out of commission for a while and it in my opinion i think you're always building i don't think there's ever a moment that you're not at least for a band like us i've always felt like okay that was great now let's get you know the next record let's see where we can take this how far can we push it it's i feel like a, a record is always kind of like your first record you've always got something to prove the 13 voices record was inevitably branded a comeback album First, it appeared five years after Screaming Bloody Murder. That's a long time in the music world. Second, guitarist Dave Backish was back. Remember that he left in 2006, but was back for 2015. His replacement, Tom Thacker, stayed with the band. And third, there was a new drummer in the form of Frank Zumo. Fourth, there was a new record label. And fifth, Sum 41 funded this record through crowdsourcing. So no wonder the subsequent tour was called don't call it a sumback tour. All that I'm trying to say, I'm looking for a better way. But some days it just gets so hard, and I don't want to slip away. So what am I fighting for? Sum 41 with War, another track from the 13 Voices album from 2016. Here's the point where we talk about some lineup changes. The lineup of the band has changed quite a bit over the years. Um, why Why was that? Was it just people losing interest or people deciding to try different things or, or what was going on? I think the thing with lineup changes over the years comes from probably a few different things. I think, I, for me, I've never left the band, so I can't really speak for why people would leave. But w what it seems like is, you know, maybe to try other things at some point. Um we also do a lot of touring and it can feel kind of grueling and you know it's possible that maybe decisions are made in in a time where we're really burnt out you know i don't know Another one from the 2016 album from Sum 41 called 13 Voices. That's God Save Us All, Death to Pop. Still more from Derek Wibley, including a songwriting process, and Sum 41 in the Age of Trump. This is the final stretch of my conversation with Derek Wibley and the story of Sum 41. Derek has figured in on 100% of all Sum 41 songs. Sometimes there's a co-writing credit, but I don't think there's ever been a some song of which Derek hasn't had a part. We talked about songwriting. What's your songwriting process? Songwriting process for me is kind of how it's always been where I just pick up a guitar or I sit at a piano and I just start playing. And whatever comes out, comes out. Now, when I pick up a guitar, I have it coming through an amp and it's on stun, you know, it's up loud and I start playing stuff and I usually come up with a riff first and that kind of dictates the sort of style of song that it's going to be to me. Once I have that riff, that's what the song is and if it makes me feel like I want to jump around or move and be like what I'm like on stage, then I feel like I've got something. Hmm. 
when you present the song to the rest of the band, mm-hmm. how does that work? Usually by the time I'm ready to start playing some of the songs to the rest of the guys or anybody, I've usually done pretty extensive demos um, with, you know, I use my drum machine and sort of mapped out the song and I put all the parts down that I can and I just kind of try to finish it as much as I can, usually with no lyrics, but there's melody. So I'm kind of seeing a lot of gibberish, mm. um, but you get a real idea of what the song is. You just don't know what it's about. When do the lyrics come in? Lyrics usually come... After you present it to the band? Usually, yeah. The lyrics come after I've sort of presented it to people. Um, I, I really kind of procrastinate on lyrics. It's usually the last thing I do. A lot of times lyrics are coming while we're, we've actually recorded the songs. Do you keep a notebook with lyrical fragments in it? or? Yeah, I mean, I'm always kind of jotting down little things and... Usually a lot of those things become song titles or some kind of phrase or something like that. I do get a lot of little things. I don't really get a lot of, you know, lyrics of like, you know, full lines and stuff like that until I have a melody. There's a live version of Over My Head, originally from the Does This Look Infected record, recorded in London, Ontario, in April of 2005. The seventh Sum 41 album was 2019's Order in Decline. It's the first Sum album in the age of Trump. And naturally, that came up in the conversation. You're now on record number what? Seven. Seven. And this is a record that has, it's your first in the age of Trump. (laughs) <laughs> yes. How much of this record is Trumpian? A reaction to what you see in L.A.? I think that's definitely... I think it's open to interpretation. Because to me, I felt like I was writing about just how I feel about things and sort of my observations. And I feel like it's kind of vague to me. But then I hear other people say, oh, man, that's you're really singing about Trump there. I'm like, well, I don't even know you would get that from that. But I guess, I mean, there's some, we have a song called 45, which is about him in a way, but not. I mean, to me, it's about me. It's about my feelings, about my anger, my um, frustrations and stuff like that. It's more saying, you're just not my kind of guy. But I'm not really... It's not like a Rage Against the Machine song. I'm not really calling out specifics or policies and stuff like that or trying to change other people's opinions. Are you feeling or seeing music getting harder, more angry over the last couple of years? I don't... I honestly don't pay attention to too much of what's going on musically. Mm. Um, Mostly because we're either always on tour or we're in the studio and in the studio I definitely don't like to know what's going on because I just want to focus on writing music um, I don't know I feel what I find if I notice anything I, I feel like a lot of bands that were rock bands have gone another way have gone a lot lighter a lot more pop trying to be a little bit more mainstream which is totally fine uh, that you know it doesn't I don't feel like that works for us but I've seen some bands go that way and they do have success so you know all the power to them um if you can do it and you're comfortable with that sound then you know go for it but i don't find people going darker or heavier here's that song called 45 not about trump apparently
Here's another story from Derek about a Sum 41 song that somehow became a hit without anybody really realizing it. You're at a point in your career where you've got a really deep catalog of hits. Mm -hmm. What songs do you like to play the most, and what songs are the ones that garner the most reaction? It's funny with the songs that get the most reaction because it changes over time. Um, I was always surprised. We had this song called With Me, and it was a ballad, and we never really thought much of it. It kind of took on a life of its own. And I remember about a year after that song had come out, and it was on a record that we'd already moved on from that record. We already did the touring. The cycle was over. We were moving on, thinking about a new record, and that song started getting onto the iTunes chart, and it was top 10, and then it stayed there for weeks and weeks and weeks for no reason. Didn't know why. And we still, we, we never played it. We never did anything. We went out on tour. We never thought of that song Ten years later, we just decided to play the song for fun one day, thinking nobody knows this song, but let's just play it. We were somewhere in Europe, and we played it, and the entire festival sang the song back to us. It was like the biggest song of the set, and we walked off thinking, how does anybody know this song? We never released it or anything as a single. You know, it just, I mean, we made a video for it, but it never got service to radio or anything like that. And when I went and looked at YouTube, it had, you know, huge numbers, kind of like the same as Fat Lip numbers, and I just could never understand it. See, that's the wild thing about today's digital environment. You have n you have even less control mm -hmm. of where your songs go and how they're, what kind of life of their own they take on. Yeah, uh, and it's it's really cool that this song, which you had moved on from, ten years later, we found out that people knew it. It was a hit. It was a hit. <laughs> yeah, without without the usual ways of making hits. Exactly. And I've always heard about that from other bands. You know, like especially bands from, say, late '60s or '70s and They'll, you'll say, well, that song was never even released or it wasn't a very big single or whatever it was. And to have one of those now of our own, I see how it can happen. Maybe it got into a, onto some influential playlist. It was in, in a movie soundtrack <laughs> or somebody somewhere. And you, you said they got the big reaction in Europe? Yeah, all over the world. Who knows? It's really bizarre. It's really <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this look back on the career of Sum 41, as told by frontman Derek Wibley. This band has been responsible for tons of hits, somewhere north of 10 million records. Not bad for a bunch of suburban brats who decided to form a band during summer vacation back in the 1990s. If you want both of these shows, parts one and two, they're available as podcasts. Get everything from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that offers on-demand audio. There are hundreds of these things, and they are all 100% free binging is encouraged. I have a website you might want to check out. It's a journal of musical things.com. I update it every single day. It's a, uh, you know, a bit of an OCD thing for me. And if you want reminders of what's on the site on any given day, subscribe to the newsletter. It's free too. think of it as a music news bulletin right to your inbox. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Give me a follow if you think that's wise. And if you need some email attention, I'm available at alan at alancross.ca. Thanks for Derek for being such a good guy about this interview. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross.
You've been listening to the ongoing history of new music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 